We acknowledge the First Nations peoples of this land, the traditional custodians, and pay our respects to their elders past, present, and future. We recognize the ongoing impacts of colonization and the importance of a voice to parliament to ensure the sovereignty and self-determination of First Nation peoples is respected and upheld. We commit to working together towards a just and equitable future for all Australians. I can't take it anymore! Good afternoon, good evening, good day and good morning, Blurtsters, wherever you are around the world. You are listening to the new Blurt. Hi, I'm Keely, and tonight I'm coming to you from Wurundjeri country, the Kulin Nation of the Wurrung people. Sovereignty was never ceded, always has been, and always will be Aboriginal land. And I'm Wentz, and I'm coming to you from traditional lands of the Yagra and Turbals peoples. Sovereignty was never ceded. Good evening, Wentzy. How are you, buddy? Not too bad. It's the 6th of June. It's Pride Month. It, it is Pride Month. It's it's also it's also cold month because um, it's officially winter in mm. uh, in Melbourne, and yeah. it's interesting because it hasn't been too cold. And to be honest with you, today it was a little bit unusually warm. Yeah, but Un- it unlike was the dark, other day, it was, well, yes, but it was dark <laughs> at ten to five. Right. Okay. Yes. Well, I've only got a few more weeks of that, and then it starts getting the days get longer. So. That's not a bad thing. Well, no, that's probably true. That, that is probably true. <laughs> Something but, positive uh, to look forward to. Yes, Might be weird, exactly. Days will yes. start to get longer. Very that's, soon. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. And something else positive to look forward to, as you had just uh, mentioned. Uh, happy Pride Month. That's right. Um, it's a celebration that started in the US. Uh, it's in June because um, it's a tribute to those who were involved in the Stonewall riots. And the first Pride Month was held in New York City in 1970. Um, and obviously, it's spread around the world as the movement has grown. Um, yeah, so it's been, uh, it's, there, there, there'll be events all across Australia and, and America as well. And wherever you're listening to our podcast, just do a Google search for events if you're interested. Um, yeah, so last Sunday, we went to a market that my oldest, um, Elijah, does crocheting and badges and stickers and sells other stuff. And the event was called Queer Switch. So it's queer and it was held in Ipswich. Not usually renowned for being queer friendly, so to say. Um, so it's quite surprising to see that it was held there, but it was a lot of people went. So um, that was quite good. And it was busy. Elijah was very happy with sales. Um, yeah, it was a good, good day. Nice. Excellent. I've been to Ipswich. I'm not a big fan. No. Um, it's, uh, what I remember is it's sweaty and it's hot. <laughs> and really, that's all I can remember. All I, all I remember of Ipswich was walking down. I was at a jamboree years ago in Queensland and... I was walking down uh, this hill and my nose just started to bleed profusely. Oh, what? Just for no reason. Because it was so hot. Just so hot. <laughs> just, went, <laughs> just went, bugger this. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. So, Must have been uh, the humidity as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, you're used to it now, but um, 
because Brisbane's pretty bloody humid. But yeah, for me, um, Eastwich was ridiculously so. Yeah. So I won't I won't mention the politician, but it is very famous for a um, politician that has a party that's orange, and she has orange hair as well. Ah, uh, got it. Yeah, yes. I, think I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's why it was very fascinating to see that the queer event was held in Ipswich, <laughs> considering yes, explaining I... who that was or <clears throat> without naming names. Yes. Yes, well, you, you did that well without uh, naming names. <laughs> it's, it's moderately obvious, uh, um, but, you know, please yeah. explain. Um, yeah. Sort of, you know. I've explained enough. That's exactly right. You've uh, you've told us uh, all we need to know, my friend. All we need to know. So, look, um, Blitzers, I just wanted to uh, find out what your spelling is like because uh, we've got a fourteen-year-old that seems like his is pretty unbelievable. Dev Shah is um, he? I believe he's is. An Indian um, American, as it, as it were. He lives in um, Orlando, Florida. Um, and uh, just having a look here, sorry. Uh, um, and he, he was despondent in the right word, Dev said. I just didn't know if I wanted to keep continuing. Um, but he actually ended up winning the competition. And he's only 14. And I'm just going to play this. A little bit because we might all learn a little bit here. Uh, hopefully, it, it goes through okay. Um, because this is a word I've never heard of, and this dude Ooh. knows how to spell it at 14, so it's pretty yeah. interesting. Quickly, we will declare you the 2023 National Spelling Bee Champion. Samophile. Samo meaning sand Greek. Wait. Oh. Wait a second. <laughs> Samo meaning sand Greek. Yes. File meaning lover Greek. You're on the right track. Can I please have all the information? Samophile is a noun from Greek. A samophile is an organism that prefers or thrives in sandy soils or areas. Samophile. May I please have the sentence? Any samophile, for example, a cactus, would flourish in the Arizona desert. Can you say it for us? Samophile? Samophile. Samophile. P-S-A-M-M-O-P-H-I-L-E. Samophile? That is correct. Wow. Seriously. I would never have even known what samo meant. No, no. I, I, I would have a, a um, yeah, no, that's pretty awesome, hey? I, yeah, I don't know what he actually wins from that, but I just thought uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, he, um, uh, yeah, to actually say that word, which I've never, mm. ever heard of. Um, and to know that the file was P-H-I-L-E. I love the way he kept asking all those extra questions. Mm. I was yeah. like, in my head, I was I was like, um, what, how is that going to help you spell it? I mean, yeah. he could tell you what it's like in a sentence, etc. How, how mm. are you like, you're doing these magic things by finding out about the sentence. I don't know. I'm yeah. not sure. I don't know. 
it could be a delay tactic. You're just trying oh, to work out in your head. Okay. Right, got it. Yeah, yes. so you That's get them talking before they put the pressure on to say, oh, all right, nice. now you must answer it. At a guess, that's what I would do. Yeah, uh, I like it. Yeah. I like the way you yeah. uh, think. No, very good. Very good. Um, very good indeed. Something else, again, is very good. A uh, little bit of show and tell here. Um, hopefully she pops up there. She is. Look at that. Wolverine spotted for the second time ever in California wow. in the last hundred years. I'll tell you what, these things are um, there. It looks really cute there, doesn't it? I, I had a look at one of these things close up, and they are not cute. Um, <laughs> their their face is full on. Um, yeah, it's it, it's yeah, it's very intimidating, very intimidating. But, Doesn't look um, anything like Hugh Jackman and and his big. No, no, I know. I know. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't what I imagined either. I imagined something is probably about six feet longer than that. So, mm. yeah, no, it's, yeah. Uh, it was interesting. <laughs> so but, I wonder um, why it's, it's been seen out in the wild. Is, was it looking for food or? Oh, look, it's a great question. It's a rare occurrence um, for an animal that's only been seen three times in 100 years, mm. which is uh, pretty ridiculous. But um, they said one wolverine was spotted in the state uh, from 2001, was spotted in the state 2008 to 2018, beginning the Tahoe uh, National Forest. Uh, last month, Wolverine is likely a different one because the animal's lifespan is only 12 to 13 years. So that's pretty interesting mm. in itself. Um, it says, it's just a really exciting, surprising, said Daniel Gammons, a senior environmental scientist in California's Department of Fishery and Wildlife. Uh, male wolverines walk through huge territories, easily several hundred square kilometres, and this winter's heavy snowfall is the west may have created habitat bridges for the wolverine. The animal could have travelled from as far away as the Rocky and Cascade mountain ranges, as uh, far away as Canada or Alaska. Wow. So um, that's... I hope, I, it, that's... I hope it had a passport Sorry? across all those countries. Well, yes, I think um, I think he would obviously uh, obviously need that. Um, it could be a sad trombone, but there you go. I was feeling good. Um, I um, I think we should probably have a quick break, and then we will come back with. Um, oh my God! Uh, on the rundown, what are we starting with? Wednesday. I forgot. <laughs> Let's get technical. Excellent. So we will come back with uh, Let's Get Technical. See you in a minute. When you give blood, you're more than just a blood donor. You're the lifeblood of Australia. Search Give Blood and book your donation with Australian Red Cross Lifeblood today. Give life. Give blood. This is Hannah Melville Ray from the Australia Institute. I'm listening to the new blurt with Wednesday and the Kegsta, and you should be too. It's on Tuesday nights, live from around 8 p.m. Blurtstar says, let's get technical. The human has been neutralized. <laughs> 
I'll tell you. <laughs> one not, of my favourite things. It's definitely one of my favourites too. Um, it's uh, not too far away from that now. Uh, humans being neutralised. AI just taking over. Oh, tell me about it. But um, that wasn't what I was going to talk about tonight, and I'm more than happy to go first. But I just wanted to mention that just mm -hmm. a technical uh, segment. Um, today at work, we had uh, we had a guy who was a, a specialist in AI from Azure came in. If people don't right. realise, uh, AWS is owned by Jeff Bezos, mm -hmm. which is a Amazon. cloud platform, and then Microsoft owns the Azure platform. Just basically means that someone puts servers in one cloud and someone puts servers in another cloud, mm. um, and lots of other shit happened in both sides. But um, on with, this was all about the Azure side. And what was interesting is that he was showing the difference between asking a question to chat GPT and mm. then asking the same question to the Bing chat model. Oh, right. Which is based off chat GPT. Correct. Yeah, correct. Okay. But yep. the way that they have sort of refactored the Bing one, mm -hmm. um, it actually answers your question. So just to give you an example, going a bit nerdy and techy here, mm -hmm. I asked it. What's this segment said, all about? Exactly right. So <laughs> I, I asked it, I said to it, I said, can you tell me the difference between one lake? Um, you may know what that is, I'm not sure, but I didn't. And I still don't. Uh -huh. One lake <laughs> and uh, the lake house. And so it was funny because being chatty, Genius! And then it said, Lake House is a house next to a lake. And I'm just like, you, oh, seriously, my God, I've got to invest really to keep straight away. Um, and then I went to chat to you for the exact same question. And I didn't give it any more information. It knew instantaneously that one lake had some Microsoft Fabric uh, synapse. Whatever, whatever, mm -hmm. their cloud offering to do with their sort of um, where they put their data, etc. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it knew that Lake House was a um, was a data um, warehouse type thing where they you dump your data and extract it, etc. From a company called Databricks. Okay. And then so, it expanded and extrapolated mm -hmm. on both and, ex yeah. and, and explained what they were and where they came from. Quite a lot of detail. Right. So, yes, there's a huge difference. And so, Microsoft dumped it down so much that it didn't even know how to answer its own products. That's 100% correct. <laughs> and, and the reason is, the reason is because I, because I didn't quite get this, but the reason is because ChatGPT being a language, a language model, that's what it does. It chats and it tries to find, um, it tries to find information for something that you have sort of queried, but it doesn't actually answer questions as such. Mm. Whereas the one way that they have formulated the um, the Azure one, it, it does, it actually answers the question. Mm. And in this case, um, pathetically, but, yeah. um, but still. <laughs> Quite still literal, English yes. literal answer. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, I just thought it was fascinating. I just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> there you go.
Yeah, no. Very fascinating how the differences are. But um, what I wanted to talk about um, on the techie side was um, I'm not normally a big Apple fanboy. And I've, as you know, I've only recently moved to Apple in the last two years and have been Android fan for a very long time since it came what's, out. What's your watch? Uh, Apple. Oh, really? Yeah, Apple Watch, Apple phone. But... But you're not a fanboy. Okay, fair enough. I'm not a fanboy. Um, I still love Android, and I love I love both technologies. And um, I'll just go to whatever's got the right product um, that suits my needs. And at the moment, it's the iPhone. You're a tech slut. Uh, I get it. Yes, pretty much. Yes, <laughs> I just follow the tech. <laughs> um, but yes, today Apple today being. Monday, um, American time, um, they announced um, a virtual, I wouldn't call it virtuality because they avoided saying the word virtual, um, augmented Why? reality. Do you know, are they talking AR, augmented reality? Is that what they're Yeah, they're sort of talking augmented, spatial reality is what, um, what they called it. So it's basically goggles that you wear and the, the reason why they're avoiding reality, uh, virtual reality is because so many products have come and gone with that term, VR, virtual reality, over the last five or so years that they didn't want to be true. associated yeah. with that. And so, okay. and this, looking at the, um, the because I did watch the two-hour presentation they had in the background. I didn't watch it faithfully like a movie, but yes. Um, yes. when they t t spoke about the Vision Pro, which is what the product's called, they're basically, imagine yourself a snorkel goggle is what you wear uh, with lots of high tech. And so you can see through the glasses, but there's also little stamp sized television screens a few centimeters from your eyes that projects images. So you actually get to see the real world with a superimposed um, uh, floating screen. And this screen, can be um, massive. So you might have, uh, and I'll show you a video in just a sec, you'll, you might have um, a screen, a web page on one side of the room, and then somewhere else you might have um, a PowerPoint presentation, you might have a design that you're doing in 3D, and then you can collaborate. So it's all about collaboration and things like that as well. Wow, okay. Um, so let me have, let me just quickly play this video. Here it is. Apple Vision just Pro. announced its long-rumored spatial reality headset. It's called the Vision Pro. It costs a whopping $3,500. We haven't gotten to try it yet, but we have gotten to see it here at the Steve Jobs Theater at Apple Park, its headquarters in Cupertino. This is by far the best-looking headset in this category. Apple's calling it spatial reality, but really it's mixed reality. It blends augmented reality, which is showing the world around you, with virtual objects, with full virtual reality. So think having a giant TV floating in front of you. The really distinct thing about this device, though, is this front-facing display. And what it can do is show your eyes as you're wearing the headsets so that other people around you can see 
where you're looking in real space. This frankly has some creepy black mirror vibes to me initially, but it remains to be seen how it's going to be more broadly accepted as this device rolls out. Apple isn't shipping this thing yet until the beginning of next year, 2024, only in the US to start. So it's a long time before you're gonna see this in the wild. Apple is really positioning this as a general computing device, similar to the MacBook or the iPhone. They want you to think of it for FaceTime, entertainment, gaming, productivity, even mental well-being. And really all this is gonna be up to third-party app developers to eventually make experiences for this headset, which is why Apple announced it today at WWDC, its developer conference. So developers are gonna get some time with this to experiment and then starting early next year, you're gonna to start to see the thing shipping out. The headset is powered by this detachable battery pack that attaches with a cord and a magnet to the actual headset. It powers it for up to two hours on a single charge, which isn't a lot, especially at that price point. It's really showing how new this technology is. Apple has packed a lot of new sensors, optics, display tech, and hardware in this thing. There are a bunch of cameras. It can scan your face and your eyes to recognize that it's you. When you initially put it on, it scans your face so that it can then show an accurate 3D representation of you in FaceTime calls while you're wearing it. So Apple's also envisioning this for collaboration, for working uh, together, but across the world potentially. Um, and that's been the real promise of this category for a long time, is that companies like Meta have been saying, we see these headsets as a way to feel more present with people even when they're far away or not near you in the same room. Yeah, so... That's, that's nuts. Yeah, and so it's really amazing because um, it actually follows your eye, eye, move, eye movements because there's built-in sensors within the goggles that you can't see it knows exactly where your where your eyes are pointing at so the idea is that there's no typing so it's all all controls done through your eye movements voice and hand gestures so you you obviously there's a bit of a learning curve to the product when when if you ever wear one uh, they've created a special chip that allows the sensors and the information that it's feeding to you to have the least amount of lag. So <laughs> I think in a, a lot of the virtual reality headsets, a lot of people That's when they so wear nice. it, <laughs> I know it's a bane of us, of, of this platform sometimes, bloody lag, I know. Yeah, so with previous generations of virtual reality, they have often complained about feeling dizzy or they lose their balance because there's no perception of up and down because you're so surrounded by this those glasses and usually it's because there's delays between what you're seeing and what you're hearing and things like that in those virtual reality headsets whereas this new product they've optimized so well that there's literally virtually no lag and so and because it you're actually seeing through the lens and you actually see the real world with just things superimposed you're not going to get that sensation of like um like you're going to fall over or or you're dizzy or about to lose your balance. So there's a lot of interesting tech that's gone into it to make it a reality. And Apple's been, um, has taken a number of years to get this on, on the board and make it into a product. But I think I think it's something that could take off, but not at three and a half thousand dollars. That's just way too much money. Well, that's 5K. I mean, that's yeah. 5K Australian. I mean, that's just your um, top bloody, Five percenters, mm, yeah. Earners are going to buy that type thing. Yeah, yeah. Early, early adopters will will take 
take it up and hopefully over time, maybe two or three years down the track, they'll get considerably cheaper um, once it takes off. And it obviously depends on developers, software developers making um, their apps work in that space, in that special space, so well, to speak. Look, that, that's interesting in itself. I mean, I wonder even if they needed, they would need software developers. Why don't they just get AI to do it? Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah, uh, I don't know how that works in the background. It could, that's what they could be doing, all we know. I mean, then you've got machines making machines and then people buying machines, mobile machines. That's just mm, shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> seriously. What world are we going to? But no, look, I am uh, moderately dismissive of this as I am of <laughs> a lot of AR and VR yeah. stuff. But I'm more than happy to um, to check it out. And mm. you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm never going to poo poo the thing until I've actually tried it. But I agree with you 100%. Three and a half grand, stick that up your fiber. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, just the technology that's gone into it and what it can do and what. The vision is i think it's fascinating it's a it's very science sci-fi from 10 20 years ago yeah to see i think i'd love to try it i don't think i'll ever buy one because it's way too expensive yeah, yeah. Um, i agree with you i think the price will probably come down but yeah look it'd be very interesting to um to give that a crack and uh see how it actually feels and and mm. see how much different it is to ar and vr you know mm. that 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 for me is what i would want to know i want to know yeah. why would i want this how does mm. it add any value to my life yeah exactly. and is it gonna am i gonna does it mean i'm gonna be looking at a screen really really close for mm. more hours than i already do already sort of thing? Do, yeah you know so i don't know i'm not sure i don't it's know. a very niche toy and i'll just classify it as a toy for now because mm. i don't see a practical use for it just yet um, yeah. Not in a workspace type thing, but yeah. give it time and it, people make make it into something that can be used for productive environments and stuff like that. So, yeah, it def I can definitely see a need for it for people who have limited mobility, who might want to see the world because and they can't travel and things like that. So they can get that sensation of being there without really being there. But yeah, for your average everyday Joe, Joe Blow, no. Can't see yeah, it. look, I, I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Something that is taking off and <laughs> that does seem to be a reality and is sort of becoming more of a reality right now as we speak is electric vehicles. I was reading uh, not that long ago, uh, Saul Griffith's uh, latest book on um, uh, sort of electrifying Australia. I think it's mm -hmm. called The Wires That Bind, I think. So, yeah, yeah people... Find yeah, find find that one if you can. I think it's a, a quarterly essay. I think it is. So if you um if you get to see that, uh, you have a read. But in that, he talks about um, super fast EV charging, but he also talks about um, how we need to think about not just having electric vehicles, but the whole sort of sense of our um, using. Uh, electric vehicles uh, and not just electric vehicles but energy in general because energy is um is where we're going to be sort of running out of in the future if we don't get 
renewables right and we don't get uh, different sources of energies that aren't fossil fuels as such. Mm. And he was saying that in America, they have some utes over there that's an EV ute. I think it's called a, a I think it's called a Rian or Riab or something. I can't quite remember. Uh, uh, Reva? Yeah, what well, yeah, something something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, I've uh, heard of that. Maybe brand. I'll stick it in my homework or something. But um, but it's huge. It's like one ton of of truck. Um, Rivian. Yeah, what it's called? Oh, Rivian. Rivian. Yeah, Rivian. Um, so yeah, so that's one ton of truck, and you're like, well, that's great. <laughs> It's an electric vehicle, but it's mm. still one ton of truck yeah. on the road, you know. Yeah. And and how many people are going to drive this one ton of truck? Mm. One. Yeah, but it'd be it'll be very fast and efficient. Yes, it is fast. It is fast <laughs> and it is efficient, but it's destroying the roads. It but is. not just that; it's like it's one ton of truck. So. Mm. How much um, resources do you need to build that truck? Mm. You know, so it, it's not just about. So what he was saying, and it pains to say, is it's not just about electrifying everything that is sort of already there. It's like it's not just say, oh yeah, let's build this massive Ute mm. and just electrify it because yeah. it's electric. It's brilliant. No, that's not solving our issue. You still got yeah. massive vehicles on the road. That, mm. that, we don't really need no, and no, and it's destroying because... it's just yeah it's destroying the road so with with saying that they're looking at finding charges that will charge faster and faster mm. and nasa is looking at this at the moment so nasa and purdue university have developed a prototype for fast charging of electric cars using sub called flow boiling technology. The technology allows for increased electric current resulting in faster charging time. The prototype has successfully dissipated up to 24.22 kilowatts of heat and operate at 14 amps with the potential to reach 2,500 amps. The subcooled flow boiling occurs when a liquid is rapidly heated begins to boil before reaching its average boiling temperature, enabling efficient heat dissipation. Because that, so, that, that's a problem with batteries because that heat, excessive heat can will degrade the battery life. Mm. Yes, exactly right. So the fact that they can cool this thing down so fast mm. yeah. is, um, is phenomenal. So while initially intended for space missions and Mars colonization, yet yeah, could be what a colonized Mars, Technology could be applied to fast charging of electric cars. Its implementation on Earth would contribute to more sustainable economy. Mm. So they're saying that this thing could charge a car in five minutes flat. So you go to the servo, get yourself a cup of coffee, and by the time you're yep. back, car's charged. Done. That's awesome. It is. I mean, you can do that now, but unfortunately, mm. you know, you're um, exploring the world with uh, fossil fuels. Because mm. um, you yeah. can get your coffee and come back, and yeah. you know your petrol will probably be finished and probably spilling on the floor as well. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but yeah, the um, I, I don't know if you heard this story during the week, um, which ties in with EVs and batteries. Um, there's research that came out of the University of Technology Sydney, 
that suggests 30,000 tonnes of EV batteries will reach the end of life in Australia by 2030, which means there's about, yeah, which means there's 30,000 tonnes of battery that has to be disposed of safely. So as the world is increasing their use of battery, oh, EV, electric vehicles, anyone thought about the e-waste of those batteries at the end of life? So are we just creating another problem again? Yeah, this, is, we... exactly, this is exactly conversations that you know, Ness and I have all the time, especially mm. with what she's studying at the moment. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons that we didn't go solar on our mm. house. Yeah. Because she was trying to work out the trade-off between all the resources that needed to be mined, sought out, mm. um, that goes into building the uh, solar cells. Mm-hmm. And many of them are coming out of China as well. So obviously yeah. that's a green footprint in itself because mm. it's coming from China. Yeah. So you've got greenhouse gases there. And then, yeah, and then the solar cell itself and what's inside it, what's it made out of and mm. the, probably the rare earth or, or yeah. something that would have been mined yep. that they would have needed to, to make these cells, etc. Mm. So yeah, so we're trying... We're trying to do the whole trade-off thing, yeah. so we ended up not getting solar for that exactly. Yeah, and so. we're not even, and that's not even considering the ethical side of these companies that mine products out of the uh, out of the earth. We're not even, so even if you if you consider that, you just wouldn't use any of those products. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, I was listening to something again tonight, and and they were just saying that you know we've got I think thirty percent of the world's uh, lithium or something and 23% mm. of the world's rare earths or whatever. It's like considering we're only a small country, I mean, we're a big geographical continent, mm-hmm. but um, we're only a small country and that we've only got 25 odd million people. The amount of stuff they've got here mm. is phenomenal. But the issue now is that with uh, the, the rare earths and, you know, lithium, these sort of things um, that we need for batteries, etc. Um, what we have been doing is exporting them to China. So mm. we've been doing the old, let's dig it up and send it to someone else to make well, all the money. Yeah. So th- they worked out that uh, there was 16 billion made in some of that uh, processing of those materials last year right. that China made in revenue. Uh, mm. Sorry, uh, I-, I think we made that in revenue, but I believe China made a hell of a lot more because yeah. they, they're doing all the processing. So. Yeah, they do the end product, which then sells for more. Which we've always done here for some stupid mm. reason. Yeah. And um, yeah, now the US want to get in on the act because obviously they don't want China to have all the batteries all the and fun. everything <laughs> going forwards. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, exactly. from a, you know, from a, a, a Cold War, you know, cool war situation, mm. if you know what I mean. But apparently they want to use the technology for their defense. I'm like, yeah. mm, okay. I don't want that either. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's I have no, no answers, only questions, really. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get answers to those questions. I don't, I don't know either. But we do have some answers uh, coming up. Mm. And on the other side of this, we'll tell you all about what happened with the debt ceiling in the US with uh, Party mm. in USA. So cool. see you soon. Hi, it's Ashley Fizzamay here, and you're listening to The New Blurt with Wayne and Kexter. It's a party in the USA. Well, 
It was a little bit of a party in the USA this week because they were able to raise the debt ceiling. They were uh, pretty um, uh, pretty concerned about it, um, and mainly because the Congress is what they call a hostile Congress because there's a lot of MAGA nut jobs in there. Um, basically, <laughs> MAGA, but same thing. Yes, yes, same thing. Really, yeah, exactly right. So, um, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's the leader of the uh, House and the leader of the Republicans has been uh, pushing a pretty um, hard deal on um, this, not uh, lifting the debt ceiling. Basically, what it means is in America, they have this thing that comes around, I, know, I think it comes around every three or four years or something. I'll have to yeah. check it out. But it's a ceiling whereby, um, uh, like us, when we have a budget and we say we're going to spend this, et cetera, et cetera, we, we spend what we need to. Um, uh, and what we say we're going to say, uh, spend in the budget, etc. But they uh, have a situation where somehow the Congress can hold the whole country to ransom. And um, Donald Trump did this a couple of times um, mm. when, as I say, he was only in there once, but he, he raised the debt ceiling twice when he was mm. there. And so the, the Democratic argument was 25% of this debt is yours in the last two years and you're not going to raise the debt ceiling now. <laughs> and so it was, it was it's quite a good um, argument. But the problem was that the House Republicans were demanding spending cuts and the way where they want you to spend, uh, sorry, to cut it's spending, cut. Mm. is in the social welfare um, streams. And it's of course, just, of course they'd say that. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, the Republicans want to attach other priorities such as work requirements on government, cash aid recipients, food stamps and Medicaid, which Democrats oppose. You're like, if people in America actually understood what they were voting for, they would realise that they're trying to cut food stamps and aid recipients. I mean, mm. just basic necessities of people who are trying to live, you know, from day to day type things. Yeah. It's um, it was pretty tough negotiation. Um, the government default would have had a catastrophic impact on the economy, which we know. Um, but um, has uh, that ever happened? Do you know whether it's been defaulted? It's a good question. Um, Can't imagine they would have. There was a time during uh, I don't know if you remember, but there was a time during Trump's uh, presidency that he didn't pay the staff for a period uh, of time. That's right. That's right. Um, I think it was like a few weeks. It was pretty bad, actually, mm. um, because what he was basically doing was he was restricting the salaries of people that were paid by the government, which yeah. would be a lot, you know, be garbage collectors, um, mm. on and on and on, you know, yeah. different uh, health um, professionals and health yeah. systems, etc. cetera. So, mm. Yeah, they've got some pretty terrible rules. But also um, George Bush um, Jr. in particular racked up a crap load of debt, went to war and was more than happy to spend whatever he, whatever he spent. There was no real budget. They just kept spending mm. it so yeah they're trillions like you know we we whinge about being i don't know what we are now i think we're under under a quarter of a trillion in debt they're like mm. i don't know they're like three thirty or forty trillion mm. no, no, no three no, or four, yeah yeah, they're, yeah. I, 
I think you're about $3.4 3. in debt. I think that's right. If you want to do a bit of Googling while I'm um, rabbiting on here, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. So the ratings agencies uh, have warned a possible downgrade in US credit rating if the impasse continues. So these are all the repercussions that happen if this doesn't happen. Um, so it, it's almost a fait accompli that it will always uh, sort of occur, but they were just playing mm. so so much hardball on this, but the things mm. are asking for. It did get through in the end and uh, it was approved by the House and the Senate. Um, it does include uh, federal spending cuts uh, and the debt limit will be raised until 2025. Oh, there you go, okay. So that could or could not be a different government by then. Mm. So the budget targets for the next two years are set to ensure fiscal stability. Uh, the legislation includes changes in spending restrictions, work requirements for food aid recipients, mm. modifications to environmental rules. That's the problem there. Mm. They had to... Um, the um, Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA um, Act in America, they sort of snuck in these... Uh, environmental uh, green sort of policies mm -hmm. as part of reducing the inflation in America. Uh, okay. And um, and the sort of the Congress didn't really 100% quite understand what they were passing. Um, mm. <laughs> and so they were able to sort of uh, get these um, concessions, if you like. Mm. They're really necessities, to be honest. Um, yeah especially with how much uh, fossil fuels uh, runs America. But they do, apparently they do have... I, I know they're, they're doing playing quite with a bit of hydrogen, stuff, actually. Yeah, because yeah, I green, think... The green stuff, I hope, the green hydrogen, not blue or... Yeah, see, that's what I'm not sure about. Mm. That part I'm not sure. I'd, I'd, I'd have to I'd have to double-check on that, but... Um, Maybe we should leave that for a green there, done that segment. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. We will do that. So um, uh, so this uh, debt ceiling uh, bolsters the funds for defence of veterans. Uh, veterans uh, in American speak means people uh, coming back from the war, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to treat their veterans even worse than we do here. And wow. they don't, um, yeah, they, they don't tend to give them um, a very good life when they come back. They're, mm. they're, they're pretty terrible about it. Um, and so, mm. yeah, so for the IRS, uh, yeah, okay, and does not roll back Trump-era tax breaks. Right. <laughs> of course. So stage three tax cuts, anyone? <laughs> oh, these things, were, these things were way more than stage three. Mm. It was just yeah. letting billionaires away with you know mm. millions just basically just giving tax cuts to your friends and yeah. you know, it's mega supporters yeah that's really good I'm yeah. not, I, I can't work out why or how that affects you in any way mm. uh, apart from making your life worse but you know yeah um anyway we've said this before um he would never be seen in broad daylight with his supporters if he could help it yeah. <laughs> Just to answer your question, it is yes. thirty plus trillion dollars. Oh, thirty. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and they generally raised to um, by trillions in the single digits each time it happens. Right. Um, yeah, how much did they so, raise it? Do you know how much they actually raised I, it? Not sure about this one, but the twenty twenty one that you're talking about with Trump, it was two and a half yeah. trillion dollars. It was raised, yeah, and that got up to thirty one trillion. It hit thirty trillion back in twenty one or thereabouts, right? Uh, twenty eight, uh, yeah, 
early early twenty one, but then it was ten trillion two thousand and seven. So in what fifteen years, it's gone up twenty trillion. Yeah, up 20, 20 trillion. It Christ. hit a trillion dollar uh, trillion in debt back in nineteen eighty, and it was ever so slowly going up. Yeah, until this century when it started going up even higher. And I suspect well, a lot of it's to do with military uh, oh, engagements. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even Obama, you know, um, he was spending a lot on the war as well, uh, on the defence. Yeah, 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 really bad. Yeah, there seems like there's no end to how much they'll spend on that sort of stuff. But um, mm. as you can imagine, more Democrats and Republicans supported the legislation in both chambers, but the bipartisan support for critical for its, for its passage. You know, it's got to be bipartisan. I mean, yeah. it's as I say, it's normally a fait accompli because, I mean, you're basically holding the whole country to ransom, if that's the mm. case. Uh, the, the tally, if you're interested, uh, in the Senate was 63-36. 36, yeah, 36 is the um, GOP. 46 Democrats and 17, sorry, my bad, and 17 Republicans in favour. Okay, so some cross so, the floor, as we call yeah, it here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And 31 Republicans along with, there you go. So 31, in that 36, 31 Republicans along with four Democrats and one independent um, who mm. call, call, caucuses for the Democrats. I imagine that was Joe Manchin probably. Uh, okay. Um, he, he tends to, I mean, because anything that's green, anything that has anything to do with green energy or saving mm -hmm. the environment, uh, Joe Manchin will vote down because he's completely 100% bought by fossil fuels. Right. Um, they've paid him millions. So mm. um, anyway, the vote in the House, the Congress was 314 to 117. Okay. That's convincing. That's pretty convincing. With a mm. majority of both Democrats and Republicans supporting the legislation. So yeah. they know, yeah, I mean, you can't. You can't hold your country to ransom. That's basically yeah. what we're doing. So. Uh, I'm sure they were just playing political games to um, get stuff that they wanted. And, yeah, they knew they were going to have to do it. They're not going to give in straight away. No, no. And, um, yeah, I mean, but, yeah. But, I mean, what they – yeah, what they wanted, though, is, you know, basically taking food and, and money and, and health out of people that can't afford bugger all now. Yeah. You know, it's just – yeah. Rich get richer, poor get poorer. Yeah. yeah, it is, it is, it is. So hopefully yeah. you've got more of an uplifting uh, party in your safe uh, story. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, I mean it's uh, sort of uplifting. The fact that it actually got passed, that was uplifting. Yeah, that's so, positive. At least they yeah. won't fault and, yes, and not be able to pay up. the debts. Well, that's right. you... The thing is, right, that would be international repercussions. It wouldn't just mm. be in America. Yeah. Because they wouldn't be able yeah. to pay the people they owe, mm. i.e. different countries. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. everyone would start getting affected. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder what so. would happen. I'd love to see it one day. Just <laughs> can, we, can we just have it happen for just a week just to see what happens and then just go, okay, yeah. all right, we had enough fun. Let's just raise the debt ceiling and <laughs> let's get on with our daily lives. <laughs> Uh, yes, we could. We could. Now, yeah. on with now, you. On with you. My my topic for part in the USA this time yes. is yes. 
little bit happier, depends on your point of view. Hollywood Actors, the, let me get this right, Screen Actors Guild, America Federation of Television and Radio Artists, or the SAG-AFTRA for short. Yeah, yeah, SAG. Have voted to go on strike. So in collaboration with the writers, um, WAG. Why have I just had mental blank? No, 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 no okay. not the WAG. Okay. The WGA. No, no, no. The Screenwriter's Guild. The Screenwriter's Guild. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Screenwriters. Uh, yes. Them. Yeah. So they, they went on strike early May and now... Yes. Um, early yeah, May? Actors, was, yeah. Second of May. It's been six weeks or thereabouts already. Wow. I didn't yeah, know they've been so, on that for that long. Jesus. Yeah. So they're still... I'm definitely be missing my... Um, Stephen Colbert and Seth Myers and mm. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. So now it's the actors' turn to to demand. Obviously, they're in negotiations because their contracts seem to be running out pretty soon, and that's why there's been that little bit of a delay. Yeah, so they're negotiating with the production companies for new contracts for better wages. Um, Fran Drescher, um, you might know her yes, from yes, yes. The Nanny. Yeah. She's the president for the SAG-AFTRA. Wow. Yeah, so she said, together we lock elbows and in unity we build a new contract that honours our contributions in this remarkable industry, reflects the new digital and streaming business model and brings all of our concerns for protections and benefits into the now. Um, So basically, similar to the um, screenwriters' um, requests, they want better wages, better streaming residuals, they're concerned for um, of artificial intelligence, AI type um, usage. Obviously, they want a better a better deal. Um, the production companies well, are obviously getting a lot of money. So, you wanted to say? No, I was just going to say. So, um, I know that with the screenwriters, etc., in particular, I know that they're not particularly well remunerated. Um, mm. A lot of the time, especially mm. writers for different shows, etc., and they mm. probably, and I could understand they would definitely be concerned about AI, you know, writing monologues for um, shows and stuff like that. So uh, unless they could see something on the horizon that that was sort of about to happen, I'm just interested to, to why they thought they needed to to strike now, um, mm. uh, type thing. And, and do they do they think there's any light at the end of the tunnel? Is anyone coming, any parties coming together? Well, actually, yes. So the Directors Guild of America have come to a tentative agreement just over the weekend, which might bring an end to the screenwriters as well as the actors' demands. But the problem is the Screenwriters Guild are not happy with that deal. The, the details aren't haven't been... Um, fleshed have, out, yeah. Fleshed yeah. out. Well, they haven't... It's been fleshed out, but it hasn't been made public. So we don't know what the details are. Right. When this happened 15 years ago, the Directors Guild of America also came to an agreement prior to the other two guilds. It was nowhere near as, as, um, as close to what the screenwriters and the actors wanted at the time. So back 15 years ago, all three were on strike at the same time. This time we've got one after the other. So the Screen Actors Guild, are worried that the Directors Guild will set the precedent and won't be as good of a deal that the screenwriters and the actors are after. And so, yeah, there might be a bit of conflict and um, coming up. Until the details are made public, we won't know how good or bad the Directors Guild 
agreement is. Um, it's got to go to a vote in the coming day or two. So either today, Tuesday or Wednesday, Directors Guild are going to propose those requests that they've come to or, or the agreement to the members of the Guild and then they'll do the vote. So hopefully by the end of the week, we'll find out whether that's been approved by the Guild and, and the members there and we'll see what happens with the other two. So, yeah, what's this space? Well, yeah, absolutely, what's this space? And it sounds moderately promising. So mm. we'll, um, yeah. we'll see where we go. I think now it's time for something that is a bit more um, uh, uplifting with Nature Calls. The Australia Institute produces high-quality research that has real-world impact, whether it's revealing the $10.3 billion in fossil fuel subsidies provided by federal and state governments last year or our long-standing research advocating for a federal anti-corruption commission with real teeth, we change minds. To donate, head on over to australiainstitute.org.au. I have to talk about that National Anti-Corruption Commission at some stage because mm. I'm not sure when it's actually starting. But anyway, yeah. Nature Calls. Yeah. Now it's time for When Nature Calls with Wensi and the Kickster on the new... Oh, there, big fella. That's the wrong Nature Calling. Oh, right. Here is our new segment, Nature Calls. It's all about the wonderful world of... Wonderful world... Sorry, Wenty. <laughs> Another one of those good stings that you've created. <laughs> Love it. I, I, I do. Probably, probably my two favourite ones, I think, tonight uh, we've played. So it's uh, yeah. Yeah, always makes me laugh. So what, yes. you, what, you, what you got on that? Course, what have I got? I, yeah. I want to see if humans will ever understand the thought process and cognitive abilities of the animal kingdom. Wow. Um, we would love to know. Um, team of researchers um, recently noticed that giraffes preferred eating carrots over zucchini. Um, so they devised a little experiment where they had two uh, translucent, transparent containers with carrot slices and zucchini slices in each, but one had more carrots than zucchini. The other one had more zucchini than carrots. Um, so then the scientists picked up um, in front of the giraffe, picked out um, a vegetable, didn't, and then hid um, the vegetable in the hand, so the giraffe could see what was chosen. And they did that from one of each um, container, and the giraffe picked the hand that had more carrots in it. So. That was showing that they have this statistical reasoning thought process, um, which is basically where... Um, so it wasn't that they just preferred carrots? Well, they preferred carrots, but they saw that the hand went to the container that had the most, that had carrots in it, that they could visualise and see. And so they thought, well, I have a better chance of eating carrot if I choose this hand than if I chose the other hand that had more zucchini in it, because that's their preference. Oh, right. Yeah. So oh, statistic right. So you're, you're, okay, so you're saying they they prefer zucchini? No, no, they prefer carrots, oh. and they always choose carrots over zucchini. Right. But in this experiment, 
if they saw the hand that picked food that came from the carrot container, even though it had zucchini in it, but because there was more carrots in it, they chose that hand regardless whether they saw it or not. So they were deducing the fact that that hand must have picked a carrot because oh, wow. that container had more carrot. Okay. And so, yeah, so people are doing all these types of experiments to see can they, do they have cognitive abilities to make decisions based on similar to what we do? I was under the impression giraffes are pretty bloody smart, actually. Uh, they can be. They're, I guess their brains are very small compared to their size. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so hence, be, yeah. yeah, hence why they're doing these experiments on various animals. And obviously someone must have noticed that in giraffes that they preferred certain veggies. Yeah, so um, the article, this article also goes into our human bias where humans have had, when we try to understand animal um, cognition. So there's a term called anthro, anthropocentrism. Ah, uh, yes. You've yes. heard of that? My other half's been talking about it yeah. um, quite a bit lately. Yeah, yeah. interesting. And that's yeah. where humans try to attempt to interpret animal behaviour through the lens of our own intelligence without, because obviously it's very hard to put ourselves in their shoes because we don't know, um, we can't think like them. Yes. But, um, yeah, and that, and that can be a flawed method of trying to work out how animals think because they don't think like us and we don't think like them. So one of the examples is um, for um, dogs. Dogs, um, main sensory is smell humans are visual and touch not so much smell well our sense of smell isn't as strong as other animals but dogs when they smell something they're often thinking okay where did it come from what's it smelling like now i must admit what? if i smell something that's exactly what i think as well so <laughs> maybe Maybe, well, maybe, maybe we are very similar. Maybe I'm in that part dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like, right. I'm standing here. No one else is standing here. Where did that come from? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's pretty bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so where was it? Um, yeah, so they, they have a different sense of time, the dogs, um, compared to our time. So we might be talking... Um, we might be thinking of something in the future, but yeah, just different different ways of seeing it. So scientists in the past never really cared about what animals thought. Um, bastards. For example, non-thinking bastards. Exactly. So when Jane Goodall, who studied the chimpanzees, yes, yes, I'm reading um, a book at the moment. Sorry. Oh yeah. Oh, coincidences today tonight. Yes. yes. Um, so she that. she ended up giving the chimpanzees she studied names. And scientists at the time thought, why are you doing that? They're just, they should just be called numbers because um, how can you humanize these animals? Because that's all they are and things like that. So that's the way it was then. Now we're starting to turn the, um, trying to think differently on how to study animals and how they think and things like that. So um, yeah, so that's, that's another what? example. Well, they talk about infant—is uh, it infantilizing? Um, mm, yeah, I can't, yeah, it, I think I know. Is what it you're infantilizing? Saying, but... Is that is that right? 
um, uh, sort of, you know, when you, as you say, um, you start treating animals as, you know, uh, maybe maybe uh, young animals in particular, you might, um, you know, put them in a bloody um, nappy or something ridiculous mm. um, because you're sort of, you know, you're treating them as a human rather than mm. as an animal or such. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Jane, as you rightly said, um, she treated them uh, basically just as she would a friend, basically. Mm. Yeah. And so and it's, and they reacted the know, same way, you know. Exactly. They, and maybe that's how they, that. Yeah, maybe that's how chimpanzees talk to each other anyway. So... She was right in doing that. Um, another experiment that was done uh, recently was on African elephants. So back to the smell thing. Um, uh, a researcher, Lucy Bates, found that if she took urine from an elephant in the rear of a herd and spread it on the ground in front of the herd, the elephants reacted with bewilderment and curiosity, knowing that the individual's distinctive odour was coming from the wrong place. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, for us, that's just a smell. But for them, they, they can identify whose smell belongs to what and where it came from. So something like that would have just messed their minds. Absolutely. But I, I was actually thinking um, when you were talking about that, I was thinking she must be a very brave lady to go to that end. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you milk the urine? Why are you being I know. That's, that's what I was thinking. I was, I was thinking, do you get one of those little test tube cups that doctors get? You pee in the cup. Pee in a cup. You have to get pretty close for that. Imagine um, the size of the cup, though. Jeez. Yeah, I know. I know. Do you do you take an umbrella just in case? I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, oh, that's, that's 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 fascinating. That's awesome. yeah. So and, there's. Um, a lot more examples of um, other experiments and thoughts, oh, uh, cool. experiments that can be done. Yes. So I'll, I'll send the link, put the link yeah, in the show notes. Absolutely. As yeah, fascinating. No, that's, that, that is fantastic. As usual, brilliant, Wensi. Very, very good. Something else that is absolutely brilliant and unbelievable, I will just show you. It's a little bit of an, oh my God. So. Just the scenery is just beautiful, just looking it's at that. Nuts, isn't it? Absolutely mm. nuts. And if you don't know what that is, what that is is a World Heritage Area that covers 600, sorry, 604,500 hectares and stretches more than 300 k's along the remote West Australian coast, and it's the Ningulu Coast. Mm. Heard of that place. It's unbelievable. Tim Winton is um, a very famous uh, novelist. He's written, I think he's written about 29 books or something. Mm -hmm. um, Australian dirt, novelist. Yes, absolutely. And um, he, one of the ones I think is Dirt Music that I can think of, but it's, it's, as I say, there's 28 others. Um, anyway, um, he comes from that area. Mm, and he knows yeah. it intimately and um, so much so that he's just made a fantastic uh, documentary uh, on iView that I highly recommend that everyone goes out and watches. Um, and as soon as you do, you will want to save this area as he is doing everything he possibly can to make sure that development doesn't come into it. Mm. They've, already, they've already saved it once, um, 
But those um, pesky, one of a better word, um, developers just try yeah. to get their nose in um, all the time. How they just don't understand the value of this area, I do not mm. understand. But just to give you a little bit of an idea of why it's heritage listed, is um, it has a rare mix of uh, diverse and large-scale terrestrial coastal marine habitats for an incredible interconnected, uh, interconnected ecosystem. Um, the one thing it does, it has, um, quite a rare turtle that, uh, mm -hmm. I can't remember what it's called. Um, I can't remember exactly what the turtle's called, but it's quite a rare turtle. It's only found in that area. And right. the problem with the turtle is that they come in, they lay all their eggs, however many they lay. Um, and they have these things called ghost crabs on um on the beaches there and mm -hmm. they're endemic to the area so it's not yeah. like they've been introduced or anything it's just mm -hmm. they don't seem to have any real predators and so they're thriving beautifully but unfortunately um they just hang out either they can go in and um discover the turtles eggs and then they it's quite horrible they stick a crab thing in and then they suck the um, yolk out of the egg yeah, right. type thing. Um, and then if that's not bad enough, when the poor thing's actually born and tries to flap off, mm -hmm. they just hang out, you know. they just And the worst part about these gross crabs are they look cute. That's the worst oh, part. Right. <laughs> uh, wow. and, and, you know, we found it, we found it hard, to, hard to watch, but it was, it was nature and so you can't, you know, you can't get sort of involved with what's happening there. But anyway, anyway, uh, one of the longest and most pristine fringing reefs in the world, Ningaloo Reef has unusually narrow continental shelf. The deep oceanic waters and the reef coastline are, are in close proximity, resulting in a huge array of internationally significant healthy marine life coexisting in the one area. So right. it's got more than 200 coral, 500 fish, 650 mollusks, uh, these are all species, 600 crustacean, 1,000 marine algae, 155 sponge and 25 echidome species wow. are found on this shelf and they aren't found anywhere else. Most of them aren't found anywhere else. It is amazing um, and it totally rivals the barrier reef in that this reef is still growing mm. and it hasn't had any major bleaching yet. Wow. As, and is that because there's no mining in the area? I wonder. Correct. Correct. No, you, wow. sorry, you're being, you're being sarcastic. My bad. Um, no, no, no. It was a legitimate question in the sense that is that why it's not bleaching? Unlike yeah. Great Barrel Reef, where there's mm. we know there's um, mining in the area and, and obviously the runoff. And they've had bleaching the events, yeah. yeah. Because mm. um, what happens is when there's not enough protection, um, for the reef, i.e., there's not enough um, uh, there's not enough algae and there's not enough mm. uh, seaweed and there's not enough marine kelp and all the rest of it. It can't protect um, it can't protect the coral etc. from mm. from bleaching, uh, especially you know like if you're having sort of bushfire type weather. Yeah. As you know, El Nino, as we've discussed on this show, is coming to get us mm. early um, sort of later this year. So, yeah, that's that's right. That's right. That's right. So um, now I know we've uh, gone on quite a bit tonight, so I'll just say a couple of uh, things here and we'll sort of close up. But 
these ones are really important. So one of the largest, most reliable, best managed whale shark aggregations in the world. If you don't know what a whale shark is, please do yourself a favour. Go and watch this Ningaloo thing. It's unbelievable. We'll put the whale links in the show notes. Yes, we absolutely will. Um, and I'll, I'll put this article in the uh, show notes as well. It's a mm. really, really good one. It's from the um, West Australian Government uh, Parks and Wildlife. Um, it's a very good article. Um, marine uh, life, as I said, the Ningaloo Coast is migratory route for humpback whales and other whales. They have so many humpback whales. They have more humpback whales in the Ningaloo Coast than uh, apparently anywhere else, anywhere else right. in the world. Beautiful. And they come down from the Arctic, believe it or not. From the Arctic? So yeah, it's, re- it's from ridiculous. The north. They travel uh, all the way south. Yeah, it's either, sorry, they either come down Antarctic. from the Antarctic or the Arctic. One of them. I can't remember which one. Um, Arctic would be too far, I would have thought. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But the Exmouth Gulf is an important humpback whale nursery. It's the highest density in the southern hemisphere of humpback whales. Um, And the other thing amazing about that is they have had a flock, I don't know if you say flock or school, of um, orcas, um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, whale, they're not whale sharks, oh, killer whales. They're killer whales, yeah. Orcas are killer whales, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I'm yes. pretty sure they are, yeah. Yes. So they've been having uh, schools of those come down as well, and they thought they were coming down to hunt the humpbacks because what they do is they try to isolate the calf from the humpbacks, mm-hmm. and then they all work in a team and they try to confuse the mum um, and then try to isolate the calf as much as they can, yeah. and then they all sort of – but. The one that we saw, we were really lucky. Um, she did a really, really good job, and then they had to just piss off in the end. They mm. um, they were naked. They were exhausted. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so she was as well. But um, the reason that it's harder for the killer whales to – because they haven't had many humpback whales in this area, and the reason is because of how much protection they have in this area because there's so much marine life. Mm. Um, as I say, marine uh, sort of tree life as well. You know, it's just it's it's just it's it's overflowing with marine life. This this area is just unbelievable. Anyway, the turtle I was trying to tell you about before is called mm-hmm. the loggerhead turtle, oh, and it's yep. it is the endangered loggerhead turtle, the vulnerable green turtle, and the vulnerable hawksbill turtle. So those right. three species um, are all found. In the Ning- Ningulu, in that area. Ningulu Reef, yeah, it's it's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So, um, so as I say, do yourself a favour. If you can't get over to the reef, which I mm. understand, if you live in Melbourne, it'd be pretty hard. If you live in Brisbane, yeah. it'd be pretty hard. It's a very yeah. big flight. And if you know where the Ningulu is, it's basically halfway up the West Australian coast. Mm. And West so the Australia bit that, the bit that sticks out, state. yeah, yeah, the bit that sticks out. Yeah, exactly. It is. So it's it's not easy to get to either, but um, it, it just looks incredible. And it's stupidly hot and et cetera, et cetera. The other thing I haven't even mentioned here, and I highly recommend that, as I say, you do watch this, um, yeah. is the Indigenous uh, connection to this area. It's It goes without saying that yeah. it's uh, stupidly important and mm. it has not, and it has artefacts that go back like, you know, thousands of years. Yeah. Um, and, and we've got to found, protect it. Mm, we do. We absolutely do. The, uh, just one more thing. It, it, it's got uh, three or four um, 
uh, fossil reef fossilized reefs on it. Oh right. Cool. So uh, they've actually uh, climate scientists have worked out there's already been in the years before another four or five reefs mm. before the reef we actually have wow. now. And um, they've sort of realised that the First Nations people would have actually seen the reef mm. that is now being formed. Yeah. It's, it's pretty nuts when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. So. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. It is. It is. It's just, honestly, I, I, can't, I can't bang on about it enough. It's mm. amazing. I'll probably watch it again. It's so good. But. Um, no, I can't wait to see the link so I can watch it as well. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I'll, I'll definitely get that one up for sure. But, um, but yeah, so I'd say that's your lot this week, people. Um, big show, lots of packing, uh, learned heaps about um, drafts. Um, drafts and, and urine. Yes, <laughs> and, and and probably probably good for your health not to stand at the back of an elephant, I'm just thinking. But that's just yeah, me, you know, so. no. But, Definitely um, not for a number uh, of reasons, but yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But oh, the other thing, just have a look when you listen to the pod. There will be um, a ten-minute genius um, audio on the end of it for, oh, from awesome. Megan Davis um, talking. I was about to say Megan Markle, um, Megan Davis, <laughs> Professor Megan Davis. Um, talking all about the voice and if you want to know uh, all about it and what it's about and have it explained particularly well uh, I highly recommend that you listen to, listen to that it. one awesome yeah. so, great great thank you sir you've been awesome as always and yourself and uh, we look forward to seeing everyone uh, next week and next week. if you're on the pod we'll talk to you then all see right. you later Thanks see you Bye. Bye. See you, Bye. We gathered at the 2017 National Constitutional Convention, coming from all points of the southern sky, make this statement from the heart. Our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes were the first sovereign nations of the Australian continent and its adjacent islands and possessed it under our own laws and customs. This our ancestors did according to the reckoning of our culture from the creation, according to the common law from time immemorial, and according to science more than 60,000 years ago. This sovereignty is a spiritual notion, the ancestral tie between the land or Mother Nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom remain attached thereto and must one day return thither to be united with our ancestors. This link is the basis of the ownership of the soil, or better, of sovereignty. It has never been ceded or extinguished and coexists with the sovereignty of the Crown. How could it be otherwise that peoples possessed a land for 60 millennia and this sacred link disappears from world history in merely the last 200 years? With substantive constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient sovereignty can shine through as a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood. Proportionally, we are the most incarcerated people on the planet. We are not an innately criminal people. Our children are aliened from their families at unprecedented rates. This cannot be because we have no love for them. 
and our youth languish in detention in obscene numbers. They should be our hope for the future. These dimensions of our crisis tell plainly the structural nature of our problem. This is the torment of our powerlessness. We seek constitutional reforms to empower our people and take a rightful place in our own country. When we have power over our destiny, our children will flourish. They will walk in two worlds and their culture will be a gift to their country. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. Makarata is the culmination of our agenda, the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. We seek a Makarata Commission to supervise a process of agreement-making between governments and First Nations and truth-telling about our history. In 1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. And we invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. The New Blurred is brought to you by Wency and Kickstart, usually on a Tuesday evening. You can catch us on all the socials, as they say, the Blurt YouTube channel. We have a Twitter Blurt handle, and there is a Blurt Star Facebook page as well. So, if you're interested in getting getting in touch, it's uh, blurtstar at gmail.com, and we will get back to you as soon as we can if you've got any questions. Until next week, there'll be another feed coming at you. Has been a Get Off The Glass Productions, brought to you by Wincy and Kickstarter.